It's good to have Ethan's mother with us this morning. It's good to see you. All right. Take your Bible this morning and turn with me to the Gospel according to Luke. Luke chapter 1. There's so many things going on here in the Christmas account. Really from Matthew as well as Luke. Other passages of Scripture as well. This morning we're going to deal with a subject that we find that is predominant throughout the Christmas story. And that is the grace of Christmas. We thank God for His grace. God's grace is sufficient. We're reminded of Paul as he made that statement. And the sorrows of life and the troubles of life, praying three times for a thorn to be taken from him. And yet the answer that God gave him is, my grace is sufficient. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. T'was blind, but now I see. God's grace is a component of His instruction. The Bible says in Titus chapter 2, says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. What is that teaching? That's God's grace. For the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live righteously, soberly, and godly in this present world. And yet here in His birth we see the grace of God. There's three aspects of God's grace that we see in the Christmas story. It's beautiful, all three parts. First of all, we're going to talk about the personal grace that all of us find at Calvary through the Lord Jesus Christ. Second of all, we're going to deal with the perpetual grace, how God's grace is continual. It's never ceasing, continuing forever and ever from future to future. And then we're going to look at the performed grace of God. Three parts as we look at Mary and how she's a spouse to a man whose name is Joseph, the house of David, and then she is with child, a virgin. And uh, all of these things are beautiful. Luke chapter chapter 1. Take your Bible. We're going to read in verse 27. The Bible says to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name, verse 27, was Joseph of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came unto her and said, Hell, thou art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb. Let me just stop and say, It is wonderful to have children. It's a beautiful thing. I know from time to time there's the uh, weight of life and we could talk about the weight of life concerning a job or a career or marriage or children, finances, but through all of it, it's wonderful to be alive, isn't it? It's a, it's a gift. And then when you think about all that God has given to us and then children, children, uh, they are wonderful. God has given us this privilege to teach and to raise them and to love them and uh, to point them to Christ, and uh, to think about having a child. I remember all three of my children as they were born, and uh, 
someone asked me the other day, how many children do you have? And I said, I have four. And uh, they didn't know I was a pastor. And uh, the guy was kind of coarse, you know, just a rough guy. And he said, from the same woman? And I said, no. (laughs) 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 And I kind of chuckled. And he looked at me and I I told him and we started laughing and stuff. But um, at the three births, my boys, we were there and uh, seeing all of that. And it's just a wonderful sight. But then on top of that, to know that this is God in such a unique setting, a situation. And I think one of the greatest points of Christmas is the humility of Christ. It's seen, as the Bible says, you'll find him. This shall be a sign. He'll be lying in a manger. No room for him in the end. God orchestrating and ordaining all of those things to be. And it's a picture of His his acceptance of humanity as He was made of a woman, born of a woman. He took on a wardrobe of flesh. He suffered and He hungered. But then on top of that, to be born in a manger. And then on top of that, to be born in a carpenter's home. The simplicity of life. This is what the King of Kings, God, glory, all of those things, the magnificence and the brilliance of who he was as he left all of that and he took on humanity. It's a beautiful passage just to think and to ponder. The Bible says, verse 31, Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. And he shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of His kingdom shall be no end. You know, if you read from verse 31 down to verse 33, there are seven shouts. Thou shalt, thou shalt, and shall be called, shall give unto Him, and He shall reign. Seven of these, seven being the number of completion, seven, uh, four out of the seven completed, three needed. Something uh, of a... Study that you could do in your own personal time, the seven shouts of Christmas. Verse 34, Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered, said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be, which shall be born in thee, of thee, shall be called the Son of God. Behold thy cousin Elizabeth, she... Uh, hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month of her who was called barren. And with God, nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, thy hand, the handmaiden of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Mary rose in these days and went into the hill country, that's north Georgia, southern Tennessee, the hill country, with haste into the city of Judah, and entered into the house of Zacharias, and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost, and she spake with a loud voice, and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me, for lo, as soon as the voice of salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believeth. For there shall be a performance of those things which were told from her, uh, told her from the Lord. Beautiful passage here. 
Beautiful passage. You know, my wife, she's, uh, as a young mother, a few years ago, uh, as sometimes women do with friends that are pregnant, having two or three friends at the same time that are pregnant or something of that nature, there might be an element of competition. What I see here in this passage is just a spirit of rejoicing. Amen? Excitement. We get to our text in verse 46 down to verse 56. The Bible says in verse 46, Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord. We're talking about the grace of Christmas. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed, for he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. The first part of God's grace in Christmas is a personal, the personal grace of Christmas. I want you to see it. Notice how she magnifies her own person. She places herself on the line. She puts the spotlight on what God has given to her, what God has done in her, what God has blessed her with. Look at verse 46. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify. My soul. Not Elizabeth's. This is a personal grace. God's been good to me. God has blessed me. God has given me. This is what Mary said. My soul doth magnify the Lord. And then she says in verse 47, each verse from 46 down to verse 49 speaks about her personally giving gratitude to the Lord, magnifying the Lord, serving the Lord, worshiping the Lord in this, in this way on a personal level. Verse 47, And my spirit hath re- rejoiced in God my Savior. Then she says, For he hath regarded the low state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. And that's the truth, is it not? Part of the Christmas story is we look at the life and the ministry, the burden, and this childbearing and raising that God gave specifically to this highly favored woman. And it's a beautiful thought how God chose her. And yet we see that God's grace is working in that same manner for each and every one of us. God chose me. God chose you. God's grace has been extended to us. Keep your hand here and look with me in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll look down in verse number 9. And I spoke of it just a few moments ago, but he says in verse 9, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in what? weakness. He chose a weak woman, a fleshly woman, to give grace to. Is that not a similar note to each and every one of us? The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. God's grace has been bestowed upon us. God's grace has been given to us. Look over in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Look down in verse number 2. Excuse me, verse number 24. It says, Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It is a personal grace. Being justified what? What's the next word? Circle that word. Freely. I didn't pay for it. No merit of my own. Nothing in my own ability. This is God justifying you and I through His grace, that uh, 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 by His grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And He did it freely. 
freely. It did not cost you and I anything. It cost Him everything in the sense of dying. And it is a personal grace. Look back in her text. She says in verse 48, And He hath regarded my low estate. My low estate. Is that not true? Is that not equal of each and every one of us? Our lowest state? For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. For all have sin and come short, right? Come short. And we by nature are sinful. Look in Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3 down in verse 34. The Bible says, Surely he hath uh, surely he scorneth the scorners, but giveth grace unto the lowly. He giveth grace unto the lowly. Let me read. If you don't want to turn to the book of James, I'll read this passage for you. But in James chapter 4, he says in verse number 6, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace unto the humble. I wonder why he chose Mary, highly favored among women. I think there's something to be said about her personal character. As the Bible says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. It could be stated that maybe one point, one reason why he chose Mary is because her humility and her humbleness of heart. Just as she would ride upon a camel all of those miles to pay taxes. And as she would submit to the leadership of her husband having no room in the end to give birth in a lowly stable, as she would bear such an unbearable task, and yet with a sense of dignity and hope and assurance in God, God's Word, holding on to what the angel of the Lord spoke to her those nights. Can you remember? Can, can you imagine her remembering and thinking back on that day many, many, many times in her through all that we see her personal grace that God gave her. Look in verse 49. The Bible says, For he saith, excuse me, for he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. Again, look, verse, 47, verse 46, my soul. Verse 47, my spirit. Verse 48, calleth me, shall call me blessed. Verse 49, done to me great things. Verse 50, fear Him from generation to generation. His mercy is upon them, uh, uh, upon, upon them that fear Him. And this is Mary. In all of her, uh, all of these verses, we see a personal grace that God gave to her. This is what Christmas is all about. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I think I shared with the church the other day, $780 billion are estimated that money is spent on gifts this Christmas and only 2% towards dads. Oh, I can't get over that. 2%. 2%. Just, it breaks my heart. Amen, dads. Time to say amen, right? Personal grace. We need some personal grace during this time of the season. More blessed to give than to receive. We've got to live by lead, lead, lead the example. Live by leading the example. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter eight. Look down at verse number nine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was what rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. 
Have you ever heard stories? Very, very, very few. Someone wins the lottery and I'm going to give all of this money. They never do. First thing I'm going to do before they win the lottery, I'm going to give to the church and I'm going to do this and I'm going to help this person. I'm going to give to the, you know, and then they win it. And all the different dreams starts dancing in their head, anticipating this and wanting that, looking over here. And the last thing is, you know, if you're not giving now, you're not going to give then. It's just the reality of it. And uh, yet the Bible says that when he was rich, he became poor. Yet for your sakes, my sake, personal grace, he became poor that ye through his poverty, what's the next three words? Might be rich. Look over in Ephesians chapter 2. How rich? (laughs) Oh, I can't even imagine. How rich? Oh, you know, Caleb, he's, uh, Papa's got Caleb fooled. Papa, Caleb thinks Papa's rich. Papa's got more money than I do. Papa's not rich. But he's got Caleb fooled thinking. And the reason why is because 99.9% of the time if Caleb or Noah says, hey, I'd like that, guess what they get? I told him the other day, Papa's not rich. Papa's a sucker. Papa's a sucker. It's okay. He's a grandparent, you know. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, And you hath he quickened, made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of God, or children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith He loved us, even when we were what? Dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. How rich. I don't know how rich heaven is. I don't know the pounds of gold that's on the streets. I don't know the elaborate stones and how much would equate today's uh, economics and finance. I don't know how to even begin to go in that direction. But I tell you this much. He's rich enough that we don't have to die and go to hell. And that's all that we need to know. That's it. That's everything. How rich is God? He's so wealthy. He's so rich that He paid my sin debt for me that I don't have to die and go to hell. This is what Christmas is all about. Personal grace. Second of all, look in Luke chapter 1 again. We see perpetual grace. Verse 50 down to verse 53. It says, And His mercy is on them that fear Him from generation to generation. 2020 is coming up in just a few days and guess what's going to be there that has been here every day in 2019? God's grace. If God tears His coming from generation to generation and His mercy is on them that fear Him from generation to generation. Verse 51, He hath showed strength with His arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seeds and exalted them of low degree, 
He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he shall empty, he shall send empty away. What we find here is a picture of God's never ceasing grace from generation to generation. This is what he does. This is what Christmas is all about. This is what he has given. And the key is found in verse 50. If you want the perpetual grace of God, you have to, verse 50, and His mercy is upon them that what? Fear Him. Fear Him. Think about it. Look, look at, think about it in light of heaven. Okay? I fear the Lord, so I'm going to heaven. I've accepted Christ, so I'm going to heaven. Verse 51. He that hath chose strength with his arm... He that scattereth the proud in the imagination of their hearts, I shall be like the Most High God. I shall exalt my throne. Hell was created for whom? The devil. The devil uh, is the author of pride. Verse 52. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. Not many mighty are called. Not many noble are called. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. God has leveled this playing field. It's amazing how with God the reverse happens. The first is last and the last is first. The humble is exalted where the prideful is brought low. The prideful man, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Verse 53, He hath filled the hungry with good things. Is that you today? Were you searching? Were you looking? Were you not satisfied with what the world could give you? Or maybe you didn't know how empty you were, but when you came to Christ, when Christ saved you, you realized really how empty and how hungry and how starving you really were. And what has God done? He's cleaned you. He's dressed you. He's put you in the right mind. He's sobered your life up. He's given you hope and purpose. Then he says in verse 53, He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he shall, uh, he hath sent empty away. I don't have to worry about that part of the verse. Amen. It is His perpetual grace. A continual action of God's grace. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And look down at verse number 8. And God is able. Don't you like hearing that? That's beautiful. What's that old song? Walls of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Jericho, And the walls come tumbling down. How's that song go? And what happened? God is able. Joshua, that's it. How's it go? Joshua fought the battle of. That's right. Amen. And that's uh, that. You know, that's true. God is able. But then, what does it say? God is able to make all grace abound toward you. Toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every 
good work. God is able, absolutely, to do what? To make all grace abound to you. He's going to help you in your life. God's going to give you grace that you need. For what occasion? That ye always having all sufficiency. That you're able in all things. That you can go through it. That you can have an escape. That you can have uh, clarity of mind. And um, that you can... That you can figure this thing out, make the right godly decision, may abound to every good work. This is God's grace. It is a perpetual thing that God does. Third of all, look at our text and we'll close maybe just a few moments early. From verse 54 down to verse 56 is our performed grace. The grace of Christmas. Personal, perpetual, and performed. Verse 54 he hath hopen, or helped, he hath hopen his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Sometimes we all need that. He hath helped me, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. Verse 55. As he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed, Forever. What, what what are we talking about here? We're talking about estimate being fulfilled in this passage of scripture. He hath hoped his servant Israel. He hath helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham. And to seed forever. What we find here is that God does what God says He's going to do. He spoke it in the Old Testament and He fulfilled it in the New Testament. Can you imagine? Do you remember the story, It's a Wonderful Life? Just to give you an example here. And the whole premise of the, the, the movie is based upon the man thinking he, everyone would be better off without his existence, without his life, without him being there. Maybe you felt that way before. Maybe you haven't. But what we, what we find here is that this man, that's where he was because he was at a desperate place in his life. But if you put that same concept with Christ, what if Christ wasn't born? What if Christ never came? What would we have? We'd have a hopeless Bible. We'd have a helpless salvation. Nothing that we have today would be tangible in the sense of what we believe and what we know is reality. We wouldn't have a church here. If we had anything, it would just be some kind of nice, warm fun, inviting, activity-filled place to bring people in to develop relationships. That's what you have when a church does not put the focus on Christ. You have everything but a church. And if He hadn't have been born, what would we have? We would have nothing. Emptiness. No hope. No security. No future. No eternity. 
But aren't you grateful that what He says in the Old Testament we see in the past and the new? Aren't you great, grateful that you see the perpetual grace of God, how it says from one generation to the next, and that happens? Isn't it good to be a second, a third, a fourth generation Christian to know that there's four generations of one family under the same roof or, or three that's serving the Lord? A son that came to Christ because parents and his son and daughter came to Christ because of parents and so forth and so on. To see that consistent, this is God's grace. We know John chapter 1 verse 14, the Word became what? Flesh. Look over in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I hate preaching when I've got a cold. I feel like I'm just... (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Oh my. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. He says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. What does he say in verse 54? He hath hoped, he hath helped his servant Israel. Maybe on a practical note, God needs to help you with some grace in your life in certain areas, like Ephesians chapter 4. Look over in Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. He says in verse 6, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Verse 5, Walk in wisdom towards them that are without redeeming the time. I have chosen this to be my marital life verse, and this is how I read it. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer Bethany. Amen. Grace, isn't it wonderful? The Christmas story. Father, we love you this morning. Thank you for your grace. We pray that you'd speak to our hearts. Help us to serve you in Christ's name.